Wondering how to navigate local, city, state, or the federal government in order to grow your business, secure funding for your nonprofit, or advance your organization's agenda? Welcome to Lobbying Insider, a podcast that brings listeners to the intersection of business and government to provide a rare perspective on how things actually get done. We will dive into some pressing current issues, provide keen observations from the past, and keep an ever-watchful eye on what's coming next. I'm your host, Zach Fink, Director of External Affairs at Davidoff, Hutcher & Citron. Glad to have you with us. Millionaires are not leaving New York. They're actually back and staying and growing. Who is leaving? The middle class. Recognize that they have to be connected to 421A, but let's have a separate conversation about it because I'm fear that it ends up being, as most legislation is, you, you make it by sausage and it gets cut up and cut up. And I think if, if that is the approach that's taken, some of it or potentially all of it runs the risk of not getting anything done. Okay, and welcome. One of the issues that has been outstanding these last couple of years, it's kind of a constant in state and local government, but in particular, there's been a real focus these past couple of years, which is housing. There's not enough affordable housing. More needs to be built. Developers are saying they need incentives. It's a pretty big puzzle to try and piece together, and our local leaders are trying very hard to do that. But I think by the example of last year, at least in the legislative session in Albany, there was much anticipation. A lot of promises were made at the beginning of the legislative session in January of 2023. And at the end of the day, not much was delivered. And there are a number of problems and reasons for that, which we're going to get into today. But let me start by introducing my two guests. Let's start with you, Carlo. So I'm Carlo Chisora, currently president and CEO of the New York Building Congress. We are a broad-based association of anyone building, not just in New York or the region, but across the country. So we've got architects, engineers, contractors, lawyers, lobbyists, hotels, the MTA, the Port Authority, school construction authority, hospitals, universities. So really a broad-based coalition. And we work on, I think, three important things. One is housing, two is infrastructure, and three is commercial developments. You certainly know a thing or two about a little this bit. housing and, and, problem. And of course, the real estate industry. <laughs> and the real estate. So we've got owners and developers as well. Okay, great to have you with us. And Lou, who is a part of our firm. Zach, it's good to see everybody today. I'm Lou Coletti. I'm a senior advisor. Previous to this role, I served for president and chief executive officer to the Building Trades Employers Association for 25 years, the largest contractor association in the United States. All right. So let's jump right in just with kind of where we left off. Uh, Last year, the 2023 legislative session didn't really yield a lot of results. I know there was a a lot of disappointment about that. Carla, what's your take on on kind of what happened? It felt like they were close at one point, and then everybody kind of went in their own direction. You know, someone once gave me a very important piece of advice about Albany, and it was when everyone agrees on something— be very careful because it won't happen. <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, we went into state. That's a larger lesson. That's a it? much yeah. larger lesson, which I lived last year. But we went into state of the state, you know, January 10th or 11th, I forget what day it was, of 2023. And we thought, wow, the governor put forward a very thought-provoking, very ambitious legislative agenda on housing. It sounded great. It included everything we were looking for, I think, or a lot of what we were looking for. And then I really thought by the budget, and then shortly after the budget, there was a moment, and then it just fell apart. 
and we were left with piecemeal items. So the governor went to Gowanus and did some incentives for folks in Gowanus. There was a project here that they just needed a a little bit of a push. A little bit of a push. The funding was going to go away, right? Right, right. And then nothing else happened. So we didn't get a 421A replacement. We didn't get office to residential conversions. We didn't get increase of the FAR 12 cap. We didn't even get, you know, we asked for simple things. So if you were already in 421A and you had met all the criteria and you had shovels in the ground, we won't be ready by 2026. Money is harder. It's more expensive. You know, cost of goods, et cetera, et cetera. Give us a two to four year extension. We didn't even get that. Explain FAR cap. So FAR cap, it's the amount of how, how high can you build? Okay. So it, it's a, an arbitrary cap. We're saying lift it so we can build, we can offer incentives, nothing happens. Okay, and 421A for the uninitiated, this is a tax incentive that has been given to developers. There's been some form of it for many, many years. It expired two years ago, if I'm not mistaken, right? And this was the main ingredient to get affordable housing built. Basically, it gives a tax break to developers to build affordable housing as a small component of a larger luxury development. Critics had been saying, well, it's not enough low-income housing. It's not enough affordable housing. They should change it. They should make tweaks. Instead of doing that, they basically just let it expire and then then didn't renew it. Right. Now, you know, look, if you were to say, we're going to do a new – I don't even want to use the the word 421A, but we're going to do a new tax incentive Rebrand it. Rebrand it, and you have to build more affordable. Great. Then let it be up to the developers – if they want to take advantage of it. Right. But we were given zero. We weren't given an option. We weren't given an opportunity. And by the way, it has stalled a lot of housing being built. Yeah, so the, it's, it's not even on the table. Lou, what, what was your take on, on what went wrong? I mean, was it anything in particular, or was it too ambitious, the governor's program, out of the gate? No, I think a number of her proposals, which were solid outside of the 421A discussion, just got all rolled up into one thing. But I'm I'm not confident that 421A is you're going to get the parties to agree, and I think it comes down to one particular issue yeah. of merit on both sides. Labor has said they will not authorize their support for 421A without a prevailing wage requirement. Their argument is, who are we building these apartments for? On the other end, the cost of real estate in this city. Is through the is through the ceiling, yeah. And the developers' position is, we can't afford that kind of requirement, even with the incentive. So I don't know how that gets put together, but I think that's the central point. There was a study done by NYU Furman study on the role of 421A from 2010 to 2020. Only 10 percent of the housing units that were built were built without that tax benefit. To Carlos' point. Yeah, and you talk about just the prevailing wage. You're talking about union scale for the housing that's actually being constructed. Correct? That's correct. Okay, and that, that is clearly more expensive when you're paying out that rate. Yes. Okay, so that, that, does, that, does, that is another variable in all of this in, term, in terms of trying to bring it together. Do you think, Lou, if it was scaled back slightly, if let's say the focus became something like only 421A, perhaps in exchange for this good cause eviction bill or elements of it, which has proven very popular uh, and to the left of the center of the Democratic Party? 
Uh, yeah, I think if you separated out the other pieces, there are probably areas of agreement that you could begin to build homes. But again, 421A was such a central element of the tax incentives for affordable housing. For so long. For right? so long. Yeah. yeah. That people have dug their heels in and saying that is the single most important aspect of whatever the governor's plan is. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so you mentioned good cause eviction. Right. And it will be very difficult for some of the members of the Democratic majority in both the Assembly and the Senate to approve of anything, whether it's FAR cap office to residential or 421A replacement, without some version of good cause. And I'm hearing that more and more that they are going to dig their, what, what's the proverbial saying? Their, their heels in their the, heels in. Yeah. Yep, and just say, we want good cause and you want this, let's figure it out. Having said that, these are smart people. We are all smart people. We should be able to rationally sit as adults at a table, lay it all out and say, what do we, what is the final need? Well, the final need is we need to build housing for New Yorkers or they will leave. So yesterday, the census numbers came out. If you read them, you were puzzled because millionaires are not leaving New York. They're actually back and staying and growing. Who is leaving? The middle class. The middle class. Who find the city unaffordable. Who can't live here anymore. So if right. you're a millionaire and you're moving to somewhere in Brooklyn, Queens, or Manhattan, lovely, you're great. But if you are a middle-class couple, there was one story in the Times about a couple who left the Bronx and together they're making 130, 150,000. They can't live in New York. They had right. to move to Jersey. So right. middle class, we are losing the great middle class of New York. It's a real drain. And I also think it's, it's fair to say about the millionaires, it's important to understand that we are gaining more millionaires. Correct. Right? It's not necessarily that people in that class are not also leaving. They're, we're gaining. We're gaining. People are, make, are getting into the, the, you know, are getting their own finances into those numbers so that correct. they can be classified as millionaires. So that, that is correct. That is actually growing. But there has also going to be a huge debate over whether to raise taxes on the wealthy uh, much like there was and they wound up doing in 2021. Right. In terms of this good cause, let me just for, explain briefly that the good cause eviction has been very popular within the left wing, as I mentioned, of the Democratic Party. It basically would create rent control for all. I know that's a bit of an oversimplification, but leases would be automatically renewed unless you had some kind of good cause not to renew it. Evictions would prove a little bit more difficult. So there are people in the real estate industry who are saying, look, this is a disincentive to doing repairs, to building new housing. It is going to make it much more difficult to keep up our current stock. However, there are those within the Democratic Party in particular who say tenants need protections. It goes back to the same problem. We can agree on what Carlo just said, that people are leaving in big numbers. The question is, how do you fix it? And there are some who believe that tenant protections, government intervention will do the trick. So I guess we get to the point where if it's not the full bill of good cause, which was rejected, by the way, when they did the rent overhaul, this was uh, several years ago, I believe it was 2019, when they uh, did eight of the nine bills and wound up not doing the good cause bill because they thought it was a, a little too radical, frankly. Is there a way to incorporate elements of it that does it, that everybody can agree on? So that's a good question. You know, California has an interesting model I don't know that it'll work here. I think you have to start with saying, who are you exempting? Yeah. So what is the number of units of a building that will get exempted if you do good cause? The idea to protect small to property. To protect owners. small property owners. What is the threshold? Is there a number threshold? 
Is there, you know, a, a year? I, I don't know. Is there an income? Threat? Like there's so many pieces of the puzzle, but you can't do that unless you are rolling out a comprehensive, massive bill or whatever it is in the budget or something that says here is a real robust replacement of 421A. Here is office to residential. Here is lifting, lifting the FAR. There's so many things that you have to say we're willing to do before I think you could even have a conversation about what a, a watered down or a better good, build, cause, good right. cause would look like. And Lou, is that what you were hearing also, just that there was such an aversion to doing any kind of good cause? I mean, it did seem like, for example, at the end there, when negotiations really fell apart in late March before the, the budget was actually due, you had people certainly within the real estate industry and others saying, no version of good cause whatsoever, period. And then you had people on the other side of it saying, we're not doing any housing whatsoever without some version of good cause, right? So so it, it brought everybody to a bit of a stalemate. Was that your understanding that that, that seemed to be the real pressure point? Yeah, I, I think this conversation about housing almost needs to be separated out from the budget discussions mm-hmm. because there's a lot of complications that go into the budget negotiations and it's such an important issue. Maybe the best way to do it is to put it on the side and say, let's get the budget done. We can always come back and amend the budget with, with whatever we come up with. But it needs the full, almost a housing summit because the differences are so strong and everybody is dug in to, to their own position. Two-thirds of the housing built in New York City is in the rental market. Two-thirds. And of that, 70% were getting 421A tax incentives. So the developers are pretty tough and strong in their position that based on what labor wants, and as Carlo was saying, a living wage, so people who are building the real estate can maybe live there and stay in New York City, but the financial equation doesn't work. So what is the equation that will work? And that's going to take a lot of rolling up the sleeves and both sides are going to have to compromise. So the grand compromise would seem elements of some kind of good cause with a 421A replacement, even if we call both of them something completely different here. I mean, is it fair to say that that is the grand bargain that could potentially bring everybody to the table? What I am hearing, it sounds like to have a grand bargain, you will have to have some form of good cause. Now, there are ways of doing it that protects everybody, including the owner and the property owner and the developer. It's not a one size fits all. I think, you know, though, so this grand compromise fell apart, right, last June. And what did we see happen in 2023? So I'm going to give you three statistics. Yeah. We put out a report a while ago that said we are short about 500 and something thousand units, 550,000 units in the next 10, 20 years to really keep up with what's happening. Great. We then said we're projecting about 33,000 units to be built in 2023. Tiny, but okay. Right. We then updated our numbers in October and said, because of no 421A, because of everything that didn't happen, we are now projecting maybe 11,000 units. Oh, wow. So think about That's a just from the 30,000 yeah. to yeah. 11. We're, we're like behind everywhere in America. We're, it's an embarrassment. And it takes a while to get online and bring those numbers up, Correct. right? I Correct. mean, it doesn't happen overnight. Part of the politics here also, I think it's worth noting, the governor had come out with this very ambitious plan that you know that included all these moving parts. And, and one of them was proven very controversial, which was she wanted to incentivize housing, affordable housing in the suburbs. And part of her proposal included overriding local zoning, which 
I don't know if you've spent a lot of time in the suburbs, but that doesn't go very well in the local towns and uh, hamlets outside of New York City, including on Long Island and, and Westchester and other other parts of the state. So it was roundly rejected. And part of the criticism at the time was that she never had buy-in. You know, it kind of came out as this plan. Theoretically, it sounds like it came out of a think tank. It's great. Of course, we all support more affordable housing. But with Albany, as you both know, it's the politics. Right. Yeah. So that gets and, and by the way, the members of her own party in the suburbs said no way. Said no way. Right. Which I think they did not totally anticipate. Correct. Which is a, is another another big thing. And Albany's a tricky place. Albany's very know, tricky. Right? It's not just the policy. It's the politics. The politics there's a lot going go on. With it. Yeah. There's a lot going on that has to be considered in advance of these things. Couple other issues I want to get to, and I want to get both your insights on this. Uh, Far. Tell tell me what the politics are surrounding that, and whether something could happen on that. Look, I. I the crazy thing is, of all the things we've talked about, FAR should be the easiest thing to do. Let people build. Right. You know, we're not saying, you know, in a in a low rise neighborhood to build an eighty story tower. Right. But we are saying that if you're doing certain places in New York City where you have density and height, allow people to build high. Allow people to build. It's it's a no brainer. Obviously, really more is. density would lead to more units. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Correct. I think, you know, the East Midtown rezoning is a perfect example. They worked very hard on that, and everybody who was part of it deserves credit. But you are now seeing the fruits of that. You're seeing new buildings and and new plans and new models. So why not do the FIR remove? It's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. And and your sense also is that, that that's an easier one to do? Yeah, but that's why I was mentioning before, I think the process by which these conversations take place is critical. FAR got tied into everything to 421A, and everybody just said, nope, you want to have one package? We're going to have one package, and everybody went their separate direction. I really think you have to take those other issues like FAR, deal with them, and say, separate them out. Separate them out. Let's talk about 421A, what we can do, what are the objectives. And that's the problem, I think, or the concern I have about doing it through the budget process is they're going to have all the other issues in the budget and we're going to end up in the same place as we did last session. Well, and that's the problem, as you both know, with the budget very often is that it comes down to horse trading. You can not only are you horse trading to try and get what you want and the budget deadline is April 1 and the lawmakers and the governor are trying to work together to come up with a comprehensive plan on a, you know, more than $200 billion spending plan. But so not only are you working within the framework of the housing that you're trying to get done, but there are all these other ancillary issues that come up that you want can wind up horse trading something that has nothing to do with anything. You know, there's mayoral control of city schools that has to be renewed. Suddenly that gets thrown in. So to lose point, I think it's a good one, which is that outside the budget might be a more appropriate time to try and take on some of these complicated tasks. Yeah. And it's a subject matter of such critical importance to city, as Carlo was saying, is that it deserves that kind of attention without all the extraneous issues that people would use for their own purposes and chits going back and forth. And, right. and I would just add one more wrinkle, because politics matters, Yes, is everyone is up for re-election next June. Right. There are primaries in June of 2024. So people are wanting to, want to be out of Albany by the end of May, right. because they're going to want to campaign in the month of June. Are they really going to want to take on tough issues when their name's going to be on the ballot? I don't know. So it it adds to more urgency in January. Well, and it right, and the party in power, in this case the Democrats, you're sometimes asked to take a difficult vote, right? That Correct. may not be hugely popular in your individual district, but it's for the greater good. In an election year, that could be more elusive. Correct. Right. Tougher to do. All right. 
Office conversions. We've heard a lot about this. Uh, there is more empty office space because of the pandemic. There are more people working remotely. There are some opportunities, I would say, for conversions to housing, to affordable housing on, on some of this space. Certainly after 9-11, we had a great example where we encouraged people to move down into the financial district. There were people moving out of that neighborhood in big numbers, and there were a lot of conversions done, and, and it, it became a, a very populous neighborhood. Obviously, this can be done. My question is, will it get done? I think it, two, I would add two things. First of all, it can't just be office to residential. It's no. got to be office to other. Residential, a big part of it, but medical space, hospital space, university space. There are other uses that some of these older buildings, particularly in parts of Manhattan, can be conducive to. You know, Could they be dorm facilities for universities, right? Could they be expansion of hospitals? Could they be university classrooms? There's a lot of opportunity. That's very interesting. Housing. So yeah, yeah. I, I would say that would be my call to action. Okay. Um, but I think it goes back to Lou's point. It it will be difficult to get a grand bargain done next year. So I think if we collectively say we want to do this office, residential, et cetera, conversion, let's focus on that. And, and maybe may, we get a win. And maybe we get a win just on, on that one. I mean, mayor's pushing for it, right? Yep. The city sees the value. Well, the other issue I think that creeps up, whether it's housing or the sub other subjects we're talking about, is the cost model, all right? Even the conversions, these recent statistics show that those kinds of renovations, New York City, is, the cost of that is $213 a square foot. Yeah. Only San Jose, California, and San Francisco are higher. So ultimately, we're going to have to deal with the economic formula by which developers are willing to build and, and to address the, the concerns that labor has. On a real estate model, 40% of their cost is on materials, supplies, insurance, and labor. 60% of that cost goes to land acquisition, goes to finance, and government rules and regulations. Now, the mayor and the city planning commissioner have done a terrific job in outlining some new rules to streamline it, but that's going to take time to get in, in place. But if we don't take a look at addressing that financial model, it's going to be very, very difficult to move forward on housing or on anything else because that is, that's going to be that's a the key yeah. to, to the progressive agenda. They're going to want to see what are we going to pay these people. And right now the real estate community is saying we can't afford the proposals that are on the table. Well, that's a, that's a troubling, troubling prospect as well. Yeah. One more issue I want to get to, which I think is significant, which was something that I also thought last year, well, this can get done easily, which was basement conversions, right? There was a, a lot of talk about creating more units. The problem now is that basement units very often are illegal. Uh, they're housing people. You have people coming in great waves of migration to the city. There is a need for, for affordable housing, and people are carving up basements and, and putting families down there, and it's not safe. You had a, a very big storm a couple years ago. People lost their lives. It was tragic. So there has got to be an incentive to make these apartments safer and usable and livable. So uh, my parents came from Italy in the 60s. Yeah. I can tell you that every Italian kid in New York City <laughs> grew up in the basement of okay. their house. Because that's, that's what you did. Yeah. You were not allowed to sit upstairs <laughs> in the good dining room and yeah. living room. So you ate and you did everything in the basement. Kids should be seen and not heard. Exactly. Right? And that's what we did, right? It was a different era. You know, we didn't have the floods we have. It, it was just different. Today, 
you really can't have that unless you really are spending money to ensure that these basements are safe, there's proper egress, there's proper boilers, like a lot of things have to happen. Yeah. And what's your take, Lou? Is that, is that something that could be done more easily? Is that something that rises to the top as a necessity because it's a, a safety issue? I think all these issues are all interconnected. And I think the individual members of the legislature, depending on their district, their priorities, are going to seek to link it all. And that's why perhaps they should agree on agenda and say, let's take these three or four things, put them on the side, recognize that they have to be connected to 421A, but let's have a separate conversation about it because I'm fear that it ends up being, as most legislation is, you, you make it by sausage. And it gets cut up and cut up. And I think if, if that is the approach that's taking, some of it or potentially all of it runs the risk of not getting anything done. Right. Right. And that is a concern. Okay. Well, we should learn a little bit more next month when the governor unveils her State of the State address. And we'll hear even more later in the month when she unveils her budget. And we'll see exactly where things are likely to go. But... As Albany always goes, it throws surprises your way, so you never do know. But uh, thank you both very much for being with us. This has been the Lobbying Insider Podcast. I'm Zach Fink. We'll be back again soon with another episode. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. The Lobbying Insider is a production of Davidoff, Hutcher, and Citron LLP, New York's premier middle market law firm, practicing in over 20 areas, including commercial litigation, economic development, real estate, and, of course, government relations. The Lobbying Insider is produced by Joe Benti, and our sound recording engineer is Devante Addison. Publicity by Jody Fisher PR with Beth Ann Mayer at Lemon Seed Creative Managing Social Media. Our podcast platform manager is Monica Thomas. I'm Zach Fink, host of the podcast, and if you'd like to help us spread the word about our show, please share it with colleagues and friends, and be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice. It can be found on Apple, Audible, Google, iHeart, Podbean, and Spotify platforms. Thanks for joining us. We'll be right back.